and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer, and in today's episode, we're going to be asking what does good crypto design actually look like? Last week, it was announced that BlackRock, the world's largest investment management company with over $10 trillion of assets under its management, is now offering clients direct access to crypto, starting with Bitcoin. If anything demonstrates crypto's moves from the fringes to the mainstream, it is the backing of one of the industry's biggest players. But this also raises questions on how do you present a decentralized product to a more mainstream audience. So we put together a panel of experts to ask, has crypto's design issues actually held it back? How do you present crypto products in a trade fine fintech setting? And what does the future hold in this space? We'll discuss this and much more on today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explore series, weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around, such as... On Rampy. Buy now, pay later. The cost of living. ESG. Stable points. Telematics insurance. And inclusive design. Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed a little bit of a light on this topic. First, we have a welcome return to Fintech Insider, Chris Madden, who is co-founder and CEO of Floor NFTs. Welcome back to the show, Chris. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, David. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, good to chat. Um, Could you remind our listeners about you and Floor NFTs? What are you guys up to? Yeah, sure. I've had the good fortune to be able to work in fintech for a lot of the past 10 years, first at Venmo in the US, kind of the number one social payments product. And then over the last couple of years, I've gradually transitioned into crypto and Web3. Now we're building Floor NFTs on a mission to make NFTs more understandable and accessible. And we believe that great UX and kind of simple solutions to real problems that users have is a big part of that. Very cool. Lots to say on today's subject then, which is which is good. Uh, and it is a FinTech Insider debut for Maya Cadle, who is Manager of Strategic Projects and Investment at Nescoin. Welcome to the show. Uh, what should our audience know about you and Nescoin? Well, thank you for having me. Um, so firstly, Nescoin. Nescoin is essentially a venture studio. We focus on building a variety of products that enable and encourage economic development and empowerment, especially for the global south, um, with a particular focus and bias sort of on the continent of Africa to begin with. And that ranges across different industries, whether that's gaming, whether that's content creation, payments, fintech, etc. Um, and that's Nestcoin as a whole. We're still a young company, um, but we are building a lot and we're building at speed. And in terms of myself, I have had an interest and been dabbling in crypto and emerging markets for a number of years. So lived and worked in now in a focus on the continent of Africa, previously in Asia, my accent may give it away. I'm from London um, and also have focused on the Middle East and the Arabic speaking world as well. Very cool. Well traveled. That's good. Lots of postcards, I imagine, in that <laughs> sense. But uh, uh, And by no means least, we have a return. Rianne Lewis, who is the author of The Cryptocurrency Revolution. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? 
Great, thanks. I'm really happy to be back on the show. As you said, my um, book, The Cryptocurrency Revolution, was published by Kogan Page a couple of years ago. I'm now writing a second book about DeFi. And because I'm a software engineer as well as an author, I'm um, juggling that with doing developer relations for Boson Protocol, who are a very interesting project in the Web3 space. Very, very cool. Busy, busy then, huh? Yeah, <laughs> always. <laughs> Very good. Well, as always, we've got a great guest of people who really know way more about this subject matter than I do. So it's going to be really interesting to see their views on that. So maybe if we start by putting some context around crypto design to, to date, does the crypto industry deserve the reputation of having a bad UX? Because maybe if we if we say no, we can just wrap this up in like five minutes and be on with it. But uh, very much my impression is it's very much like the early days of networking. It's all kind of DOS and, uh, you know, black screens and everything that goes with that. But Rianne, is that is that fair? Is that a, a fair kind of uh, aspersion to cast on the crypto industry? Yeah, I think that plus my other bugbear, I think that is correct. And and until now, it's um, or certainly in the early days, because I've been in crypto since 2013, it was almost a badge of honour that there was a certain amount of gatekeeping going on. People saying, oh, you can only participate in this if you're really techie. But in some ways, although there are some great examples of people doing good Web3 UX, one of the worst of all worlds is what you see where people just simply apply Web2 UX to Web3 projects, but in a really misleading way. So they're obscuring all the parts that make Web3 interesting. They're not really... Um, you know, evolving Web3 UX as a thing in itself. They're misleading people by applying Web2 UX over it, which is possibly in extreme cases, lulling people into a false sense of security and um, making people think that they're dealing with Web2 products when they're actually not. And I was actually going to save this for later on, but it's been bugging me so much. I think the- You were excited. <laughs> you were like, I'm going to get it out. Get it out I in the am. first 10 minutes. <laughs> make my point. Everybody else can deal with it. Yeah, I like that. It's good. I, I'm venting now. But the whole thing about the recent um, slope wallet hack on Solana, I think is a brilliant example of this because this was a, oh, we'll get your password back by emailing, you know, really, really familiar Web2 flow. But in doing that, they exposed wallet details. And it's not to say that you can't ever have a get your password back via email. But the way they did it was just making people think, oh, yeah, this is something that you can do that I've done a zillion times before. And they oversimplified it to the point where people didn't think about it yeah. and um, this and this sort of hack occurred. So anyway, I've vented now. So I think the problems are, t are twofold. First of all, the kind of gatekeeping and having to be really techy. And then what we see now, which is the ill-considered overlaying of Web2 tech over, mm. over Web3. That's my opinion anyway. Well, it's an interesting point, isn't it? I mean, the, there was a reason why the first cars looked like horse and carts because they were they were trying to kind of get customers to sort of come along for that ride to a certain degree. But I, I guess when you say a false sense of security, that's both literally and you know uh, sort of uh, from a metaphor perspective as well. In that sense, isn't it? If if they're actually opening and exposing issues there. But um, Maya, what do, what do you think? Are we uh, are we sort of doing a disservice to the crypto industry then by sort of saying?
saying that it's got bad UX or at least, you know, in those early days? No, as I'm definitely not doing a disservice. I think we still have a way to go. Of course, user experience has improved greatly um, since, you know, the early days, but it's still very difficult. If we want crypto to truly gain mass adoption, it has to be accessible to the average person. I do agree with the point that there's a danger of oversimplification, right? People have to understand what they're doing. They have to, we have to make sure that they are truly benefiting from the security aspect. Um, I think there's a balance to be struck. Sometimes what I see in a lot of web-free crypto products um, is they focus so much on pushing the technology aspect. And people need to understand that from a security and safety perspective. But the average person on the street doesn't care that they're using crypto. Crypto is just the means. It's not the ends in itself. And I think a lot more people need to lead with that mindset when it comes to designing the web-free and crypto products that they are building. Um, It'll make a huge difference. At the end of the day, I want it to be a situation where I can give my mother uh, my phone, um, put her on a crypto product, and she can just pass through it seamlessly. And that's not the case right now. Um, of course, I think there are nuances within design when it comes to web free and crypto products. It really depends on who you're targeting. So if you are targeting those, the masses, those who may be newer to crypto, then there needs to be more of that design element and those design systems that lean perhaps more on web two design, keeping into in mind the security um, aspect and not oversimplify into a dangerous level. But especially if you're targeting the more advanced individuals in crypto, there still needs to be improvements. Um, but there are differences in terms of how you should approach design based upon who you're targeting, just as that's the case in web two products as well. Yeah. I mean, Chris, what do you think on that? I mean, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Is there a, I mean, is this, is this purposeful or is this just, you know, is this us complaining that Bill Gates and Steve Wozniak in the early eighties weren't explaining networking properly? You know, it's like, actually, does it matter? Is it just an evolutionary step that we're seeing in the, the, the stage of where cryptocurrency and everything around uh, distributed ledger technology really is? I think Maya hit on some important points. I think our our bad UX today is really a relic of bad product market fit. Um, because if you think about what design is, it's figuring out how to solve a user problem with a user interface. And today, the majority of products that exist inside of crypto don't genuinely solve a user problem. They exist as tools, not as products, as abstractions starting from the bottom up, building uh, layers on top of technical metaphors, and they make no sense to end users. I think there's probably one place we found product market fit today in crypto, and that's custodian-based speculation on fungible assets. And there you see really good UX. Coinbase has built a really simple way for people to achieve something that they genuinely want to do. They have a problem or an opportunity. They want to speculate on the future value of crypto, and they don't want to manage their keys, and they don't want to sign transactions. And Coinbase has built an abstraction and a really strong UX by understanding a single problem where crypto has product market fit. The vast majority of other products today are like, what if we do X with crypto? And the truth is people don't care. You can't build a great UX for something the user didn't want to do in the first place. And so we're just building tools today to test and play. And I think that is a relic of where we are in the adoption curve. I think we will find more places we have product market fit. Um, but I think reframing it around it is impossible to do a good job with UX if the user didn't care in the first place um, brings us back to 
building products that matter where crypto is an enabling uh, and and accelerating thing and not the why. Mm. I think that's a really, really good point and, and often completely lost, isn't it? It's like, if we make the user experience infinitely better, but nobody cares anyway, it won't make any difference. But the flip of that, I mean, my, the example I always use on that basis was when I was uh, at a big bank, over 50% of our applications for loans were coming over mobile, but we had no mobile application for loans at all. So it's like, if they needed that thing, if they wanted that thing enough, they would put up with crappy UX to, to achieve the outcome. But but that that's a, almost a point in time thing, isn't it? Um, I mean, do, do you think the, you know, UX is such a broad category. Again, you know, air quotes on a podcast. It's not particularly helpful, is it, listeners? Sorry. Um, but being in a situation where UX, just from a, a you know, a, a naming conventions, a nomenclature kind of basis, do you think actually that's a big barrier to entry for for normal human beings in this sense as well? What, what do you think, Rianne? Um, yeah, I think when it comes to user experience, because we're now talking about consuming technology on so many different platforms from, as you say, you're using the example of mobile for banking. Um, good UX on a mobile is different from good UX on a desktop, um, which is different from good UX on a games console. And if you think that people are going to be using crypto applications on all those platforms, as well as potentially through um, IoT, speech recognition, all these things. UX, I think a lot of people think of UX very narrowly just in terms of visual design, but it's about so much more than that. And a big piece, I think, of UX is um, education. And I do completely um, speak to both Myers and Chris's points that people have to want to use the application, have a use for it. And you don't want people to have to um, take a degree in network engineering and cryptography before they can use your app. But um, informing users of your application what is actually happening is, is important when it comes to these things, even if it's just something as simple as a public blockchain transaction taking maybe a little bit longer than people are used to with a centralized application. Um, letting the user know what's going on instead of just having a loading spinner that spins for a really long time and people don't know what's going on. Just really simple things like that. So user experience where it bleeds into usability does cover a lot and and people just think of design, but it's not just that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, do you, do you think on, on that point? Do you think that is? Um, do you think that is a necessary step? I guess the the summation of really what everybody was has been saying is like, look, if you if you make the thing that somebody wants to do well enough, user experience is kind of frictional. You know, it's a it's a smoothing of the process, but it won't make it happen or not to a certain degree. In the same way as we don't have to explain to people how APIs work to use open banking in the UK or, you know, further afield. It's actually the technology is reasonably irrelevant. The thing you're doing it for is is the main thing. But is that where this is a little bit different? I mean cryptocurrency has become such a uh, a tribe, you know, it is a it is a group of people. It does have such anti-establishment sort of characteristics of, in, you know, the decentralized everything and all of those things that go with that. So, I mean, Chris, do you, do you think there's an element here of we're not going to get to that mainstream because everybody likes it being their little secret club? I think the folks who are here now for sure do. Um, I think we're increasingly realizing, though, that 
you know, just because we're gaining 100,000 wallets a month doesn't mean we're gaining 100,000 users a month. And I think some people are starting to realize that we're all just involved in some big group joke at each other uh, <laughs> of convincing ourselves that we're growing when really we're all just like doing more. Um, that's not to say that there isn't real growth, but I think you know the blockchain is just a distributed database that gives us some properties of that data store. And then there's some conventions that sit on top of that um, like token standards that give us uh, interoperability. And so it's a data store that has kind of verifiability and then it has a, a level of interoperability. And this is what I love about NFTs. I think there are properties of solutions built on that that the general population will fall in love with. Um, so having things that are openly tradable, can be valued, can be stored, can be proved to be owned, these things, uh, this is why I'm so bullish on NFTs, I think will create products that are more powerful for consumers than we could make and can give users more choice and more control than they have today in the world of Web2, Web2 social, Web2 ownership, Web2 ticketing, Web2 e-commerce, like all of these things. I think this is really powerful. And this comes back to the product market fit thing. We need to understand what those things are from a user problem and user opportunity standpoint, then build to them and they won't love that it's built on a blockchain necessarily, but they will love that anything that you know has this probably slightly better branded stamp on it can be traded in an open marketplace. And you know, I can swap you my Taylor Swift tickets for your graphics card. Like I, I don't know, stupid example, but uh, I'm a Taylor Swift fan. I don't know if that was obvious. I, I would make that trade, just just so you know. I would definitely make that trade. You could have my whole computer for those Taylor Swift uh, tickets. But um I, I guess in the in the sense of um you know, we talked a little bit about standalone here, you know, and actually I think there's a, there's a real difference there. I mean, we've all sort of made this point to a certain degree, but there's a real difference between the community making very specific things. But I guess actually when we start looking at the how mainstream adoption is, is being, you know, pulled forward and as you say, as the numbers are, are growing and, uh, you know, very specific products now are being incorporated into more broad fintech or even more broad financial services players in that sense, then, I mean, reality and your, your point around, you know, a uh, Web 2 and a Web 3 worlds kind of living together, I mean, it becomes quite a stark uh, difference in that sense, or, or you are masquerading Web 3 capability in Web 2. So, I, I mean, how do we solve for that? Because that seems like quite a, a kind of a significant jarring, jarring point. It is interesting. And I think... In terms particularly of NFTs, one of the really interesting things for me has been over the last sort of two years or so, the whole explosion in NFTs, and you've seen big fashion houses, really big brands coming in and engaging with the idea of NFTs and these NFT communities springing up. And to have people who... It's attracted a different kind of audience into the Web3 world, which is so positive and so brilliant, because as I said before, it was very gatekeepery before, whereas it's now attracted this whole kind of um, in industry of creatives in. And all of a sudden, they're throwing around words like wallet and NFT, and um, they're quite happily uh, dealing with OpenSea and so on. So I think it's really important. You don't want to make your product overly technical. And I agree with this thing of being um, that Maya said about being able to hand the phone to her mum and have her mum interacting with it. But um, 
we shouldn't underestimate people either. And I think the immersion of all these non-crypto people suddenly into the crypto world um, and who are using um, the technology in a not in, in a slightly abstracted but not entirely abstracted way shows that there is a middle path between people understanding what they're doing and not needing everything obscured and enabling them with um, good UX as well. I think it's just a middle path. You don't want to abstract everything away and you don't want to have people having to write their own operating systems. Definitely. And it's it's a hard balance that, isn't it? It's, um, you know, I think in a a weird way, we've seen a similar issue in mainstream adoption of things like PFM, actually, because for many people, it's not sophisticated enough and they would love to know all of the intricacies of exactly how it's happening and, you know, what do those pie charts really mean? But for most people, they don't care. They just want to know what to do. So it's uh, finding that striking that balance between the the community and then the general users is a is a difficult thing to do in that sense. But I mean, Chris, obviously all the work that you guys have been doing from an NFT perspective, how, how are you thinking about that? Is it about the assets? Is it about understanding the mechanisms of that asset? Or is it just I can buy some cool NBA clips that I've always wanted? Like it could be any of those things, couldn't it? Yeah, I, I think it varies a lot from user to user. And I do think that with NFTs in the state that they're in right now, most people enter with more general wonderment than you know any specific use case in mind. And so helping people to understand, you know, verified digital like ownability is definitely something that we focus on. Like honestly, to date, we've cheated a little with this problem. And I think about it as going concentrically out from people who already kind of know and understand. And so we started by building a portfolio tracking tool uh, to help you understand your NFTs and are kind of going out in concentric circles to help you then understand kind of more about your NFTs and the world of NFTs and then help new people kind of onboard to that world of NFTs more softly, um, just because I, I think today, and at least for the next you know six to 12 months until we get better product market fit and more problems, asset speculation is going to be a big part of why people are interested in and use NFTs. And until you can kind of help people understand the value story, I think trying to teach them anything else is probably a little facile because they're just going to lose their money and not get it. Yeah, I mean that that is a that is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, there's a a definite spike every so often of London cabbies having a conversation with me about cryptocurrency or NFTs. It's like, have you heard this new thing? Um, and Marianne, no, you've heard this in in London as well. It's like you heard this new thing. It's going to be the next big thing, and it's like, yeah, like it's a weird one. But uh, I, I mean, Maya, how how do you think about that? The the sort of the way in which we get early adopters, the way in which we bring people into it, isn't going to be the same way as you as you say you get mainstream adoption and that long tail of of opportunity to really make it mainstream, is it? So I actually want to add a slight nuance to this conversation. I think we sometimes talk about crypto as a whole as though it's its adoption is the same globally. It really isn't. Um, and I think it's really important to highlight that nuance, especially when it comes to points about user design, product market fit, etc. So, you know, having exposure to the African ecosystem, when it, especially when it comes to crypto, the adoption rates are very different there. Um, and from my experience and from my opinion, the reason for that is if you look at in the West, um, a lot of the engagement with crypto 
to date has been primarily speculative, ideological and experimentative in nature. Um, whereas on the continent and in many regions and parts of the global south, there is more of a utility-based need, um, which is more overt than perhaps it is in the West. And that is due to things such as the need to access um, foreign exchange, especially USD, of course, and how that can be difficult. Maybe that's to do with inflation rates with your own local currency, devaluation of your local currency against um, these foreign powerhouses, primarily the US, primarily USD. Um, and so that means that there's slight differences in terms of how people are approaching crypto in the emerging markets versus in the developed world. Um, and the reason why that's important is it has implications in terms of what people are able, willing to accept when it comes to friction. There are platforms on the continent that I have experienced and used, I find very confusing. As someone who is fortunate enough to have a British bank account, have access to the Western banking and financial system, I would abandon them, right, quite quickly. But yet you see on the continent people using them aggressively because they have to. It's addressing a fundamental need and problem for them. So, for example, um, if we look at peer-to-peer -peer payments, um, so what P2P, P2P was created and really pushed in the context of the continent due to changes in regulation from local governments. It typically focuses more on on and off ramping. On ramping is when you go from fiat, so USD, GBP, euros, to a cryptocurrency, and off ramping is the reverse. So think of on ramping getting on the crypto train, off ramping getting off. Um, and if you look at P2P products, so P2P was created so that you can exchange as individuals, because I couldn't, a lot of governments made it difficult for you to use your card to buy crypto or to sell crypto and exchange it for your fiat. P2P is not a good, it's not a good process. It's, it's, it's awful. Um, it's quite difficult to use nine times out of 10. There are companies that are working to make their user experience a lot better, but generally it's not great. And some of the big players really do not have good user experience yet. The highest markets in the world for P2P are typically on the continent and in the global south. So Kenya is the global leader as of 2021, according to chain analysis. I think the fundamental point I'm making is I always want to, whenever people are talking about crypto, I always want to make sure that we are really clear about what part of the world we're talking about. And typically it is West, very Western heavy and Western led um, because we make a lot of generalizations and think that it applies to the global south and it truly doesn't. Um, one in three, Qcoins found that one in three Nigerians have used or engaged with crypto in the last six months. Those figures are not the same in the West um, at all, um, not even close. And I think to go back to the point about user experience, that has implications in terms of what people are willing to accept and how much friction they're willing to accept. Um, they're willing to accept more because there's a fundamental need for them to push through it. That does not mean that we shouldn't improve user experience when it comes to Global South. And that doesn't mean that I wouldn't put, encourage more people um, to utilize crypto and crypto technology. But I think that's an important nuance to draw out. 
I know you also asked a question before, which I'm not sure I answered. Um, <laughs> no, no, I think it's a really good point. I mean, um, it, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, crypto sits at a really different level depending on where you are in the world, doesn't it? And I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with, with regards to like local currency inflation. You know, actually, crypto might seem very not volatile in compared to some currencies' volatility in that sense. So that that does make a a, a lot of sense in that sense. I, I guess um, in that though, are we seeing um, the places, I mean, NFTs are, are being used more from a um, ownership and asset understanding in that sense. Um, I guess from a payments perspective, this is where we're probably seeing more of an engagement from big traditional players, you know, the the JP Morgans, the Citibanks, the HSBCs. You know, it is, it is large, uh, it is asset management, but it's asset management at a very large scale, isn't it, rather than at a, a very small scale in that sense. So, I mean, are we seeing the same type of I guess it's it goes back to something you were saying, Rhiannon, about actually not just replicating the existing system with slightly better technology. Uh, it feels like NFTs in the mainstream sense are doing something different about ownership and uh, and, and asset ownership there. But really, uh, uh, at a uh, JP Morgan scale, the big banks are looking at, well, how do I move money internationally, which is actually just uh, the same thing, just in a different way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've I just have the feeling, um, as I know a lot of other people do, that at some point, all of this is going to converge. So um, you mentioned JP Morgan, obviously. Um, we have JPM coin, which isn't available for people, obviously, retail investors to buy on exchanges, but it's used at enterprise level for people wanting to shift money around. And that feeds into the whole thing of central bank digital currencies, how stable coins might interact with those in future. So um, given that there are various people now, um, like I can't remember exactly who it was. It was, um, I think it was the Australian finance minister or the head of the Australian Central Bank saying last week that in some cases, countries shouldn't necessarily develop their own CBDC. It might be more efficient for them to plug into existing stablecoin networks. So um, because he didn't necessarily see public development as being the best or only option here. So at some point, we're going to see this convergence of stable coins, of CBDCs, of cryptos, all happening behind the scenes in a sense that people um, aren't necessarily aware of it. But at the same time, there will have to be end user payment apps like the ones that are being rolled out in China for the digital yuan that get used that people get used to people paying in a slightly different way. So in some ways, the whole Web3 crypto debate does become abstracted into this higher level debate about natively digitized currencies, whether they're cryptos or whether they're um, central bank coins or stable coins sponsored by central banks, all kind of linking together and needing some kind of interface that people will use. So from that point of view, it becomes more of a collective venture to improve the UX involving things like banks and financial institutions, as well as the current Web3 players. And that that's the hard thing, isn't it? It all becomes relative 
exactly in that point, doesn't it? Because this isn't a uh, a blank sheet of paper we've got to create the new world. And I think that's the difficulty, isn't it? Uh, you know, in a uh, arguably everything that's happening, or DLT in its sense, is a revolutionary step in, in the way in which things could be done. But there's no way you get to throw away, you know, 300 years plus of uh, the way in which banking's been done in order to to leap into that step. So it's about getting brownfield to that point, isn't it? So these sort of interactions between the old world and, and arguably we're talking about, you know, analog processes and analog segments and, you know, differentiations of nations for actually, you know, interoperability of, of money in a real sense, which is, is pretty scary, isn't it? So uh, uh, on that note, we're going to take a little bit of a break while we think about what the future of this really looks like uh, and actually come back with some good answers. Speak to you in a second. <laughs> Here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services, and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you, or somebody you know, are up for a challenge, and fancy working for one of Flex's most flexible companies, come check out our open roles. We have roles in growth, product, sales, talent, and more. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. That's 11fs.com forward slash careers. All right, let's get back onto it then. Uh, let's have a little bit of a look about what the future might hold then when it comes to designing crypto products uh, for people who can actually use them. Uh, I mean, Rhiannon, is the future uh, really about blurring those lines between that traditional finance view, fintech, and then crypto? How do we how do we ma- not make those those lines so obvious when it comes to a consumer level perspective? Like, what does that look like? Well, it is interesting because lots of people, particularly with reference to DeFi, talk about this idea of the DeFi mullet, you know, um, which speaks to the meme of the um, person who has like short, short, short at the front, long and wild at the back. So you've got like a traditional finance or fintech front end, but there's um, crypto on the back end. I do see that as something that will evolve. But going back to what I said at the beginning, it works if it's done in a responsible way, because a lot of the problems that have happened with the crypto crash this year, a lot of the protocols that went south weren't actually DeFi protocols at all. They were centralized companies that offered an experience that just looked like a normal banking experience to people, but offered these huge yields. And... um, a lot of people went into these with the view that if they looked like a banking app, they would somehow work in the same way as a banking app in that they would be audited, regulated in exactly the same way. And of course, they weren't. Um, Whereas the people who were interacting directly with the DeFi protocols in most cases, well, you know, Uniswap and Aave still carried on. So I think there's this slight problem with the DeFi mullet in that if you make something look too much like a bank or a familiar fintech on the front and people don't realise that they're using DeFi on the back, then you have problems. But I, I, I really believe that with the right product market fit, there's going to be some hybrid evolving that has the best of both worlds. Mm. I think, Chris, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier in that sense. Is this a, is the evolutionary step products that really solve problems and actually the UX is a is a minor point in that sense uh, or is it something else in your opinion 
Yeah, it's it's unclear, and it's always been interesting to me how DeFi would and should get exposed. And I think one of the things that we've learned over the last you know three months is that there's massive chunks of DeFi that are definitely not ready for people to be exposed. And to that extent, to to, to Ryan's point, it's tough when you're exposing people to risks that they can't understand, and particularly traditional banks aren't in a position to necessarily ensure that risk for customers. Uh, I've long believed that DeFi would start to appear very uh, quietly as kind of, you know how you have that like little risk slider in every investment product that's like, how aggressive do you want to be? Like, oh, you know, I'm retiring soon. I want low risk or like, nah, screw it, YOLO. Let's like go all the way to aggressive <laughs> risk. And I think like, I imagine DeFi is kind of like the the uh, the dial to 11 of like, diversify into like very high risk but potentially high reward assets with the knowledge that you know you could lose that portion of the funds i could totally imagine people exposing uh, things like that to consumers defi has historically been a market where early and savvy players can make a lot of money quite quickly and then almost everyone else is like left to hold the bag and so I think there's few protocols that have really shown that they have the longevity and the stability to make that worthwhile. So I don't think we're there yet, but things like Goldfinch that kind of tokenize exposure to, you know, pretty understandable and pretty like likely stable assets like corporate debt, um, I think is super interesting and could potentially offer uh, higher yields. But I think so much of DeFi is still in the yeah, that sounds too good to be true. Oh, wait, it was kind of phase for it to make sense for most consumers anyway. And do you, do you think that that sort of um, that difficulty of almost, uh, you know, not everything is created equal in this sense? Uh, you know, do you think there's a, a risk that actually trust in the system, not from a technological perspective or a cryptography perspective, but but normal people being comfortable enough to 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 buy in or to take into those risks a lot of taxi drivers are, have gone very quiet lately you know like in terms of those recommendations so uh, i mean do you do you think chris that there's a there's a risk that actually unless they get this right that actually people could be put off more broadly and that could really stunt uh adoption yeah DeFi is gambling today i don't think it's investment well, there's a quote for sure. Uh, what do you think, Maya? Do you think it's a, uh, a a hurdle that we'll have to get over? Do you think it is a sort of a once bitten, twice shy type moment in terms of everything that we're seeing here? Yes and no. So I think it's for the West, I completely agree with what Chris has said. For the continent, yes, to some extent, or continent of Africa, sorry, to specify. Um, to, for some extent, but probably less so just because there's fundamental utility Um and these fundamental core reasons why people are using crypto, which is pre prevalent in the West, but not quite as strong in my opinion and from what I've seen. Um, I think crypto will help the continent leapfrog. We will see, of course, the technology is going to develop globally. The applications of that will we'll start to see more nuanced applications and perhaps more regional applications and localized applications as well, which will definitely be exciting. However, fundamentally, there's certain core fundamentals that we need to make sure as a community we are working on. So one particular thing I'm begging you, if anyone is building or working on non-custodial wallets, please improve the user experience. It's such a huge friction for anyone who's especially trying to access DApps, uh, DApps, et cetera, sorry, um, 
it, it, you you need to have a non-custodial wallet. They're not easy to use. They're very, very cumbersome. Um, and if we really want to, you know, cross a cha- chasm when it comes to crypto globally, that is one fundamental thing we need to work on. Um, and I think that will then help a lot of other projects and products in the crypto world for sure. Mm. It's interesting, and the the point you make around emerging markets as well. I mean, the you know NFTs, the adoption is is very sort of Western in that sense. But uh, Africa actually has a, an amazing track record of adopting new capabilities where it solves a real problem, right? Exactly, a thousand percent. You know, we've seen it with mobile money. We've seen it with you know people just going straight to smartphones. Even if you look on a very small scale. WhatsApp. WhatsApp is used heavily um, for business in a way that we don't see in the West. And definitely that will be the case. If we're addressing a fundamental problem, people will adopt it because they have needs, they have jobs to be done um, per se. And if crypto is the way to achieve that, they'll use it. And they will definitely leapfrog. There's a lot of opportunity on the continent. There's a lot to build and there's a lot of excitement and people are just willing. And I think it also helps that, especially on the continent of Africa, it's the youngest continent in the world in terms of age um so people are just more willing to try new technology for sure very cool and and chris i guess just to sort of finish up on that space i mean with nfts specifically i mean where do you think that that goes next in that sense because we we've seen such an explosion in interest and adoption and you know we're now seeing bigger and bigger organizations sort of dipping their toe in in various different guises from you know social media platforms to to gigantic uh, you know financial services players so uh, where does that go is this just a kind of almost an inflection point for how uh, digital assets are identified or or do you think it's something different? I think NFTs highly bifurcate from this point forward to the point that describing them as kind of a collective umbrella probably won't make sense. They're a new primitive and I think they can be used inside of a lot of different parts of crypto. So I think what Uniswap did was really smart, which is all LP positions are actually represented as NFTs, uh, which is a you know, an ownable position in a liquidity pool that grants the owner rights to the interest and the fees uh, that that liquidity position is providing for trades. Stuff like that's really interesting. And that's like one branch that's going to mature by itself. And those prob- those might be called NFTs, who knows? I think the place that you know, we'll see most consumer adoption is most likely in the kind of money meets culture space, which very few people have done well. I actually think uh, selfishly Venmo in the US is one of the first and few who have blended money and culture in a way that people find compelling. I think that NFTs give us an opportunity at kind of a round two of like where financial value, culture and community can kind of meet and create interesting, compelling consumer things. I think where we don't have answers yet is exactly what those are. Like I always like to use Stepan as a really interesting example of where, yes, it was technically like a interaction triggered yield device that you purchased as an NFT, but then, you know, you did the walk and you got your staking rewards because when you activate your shoe, you're actually staking it. Like it was quite complex and you basically did have to read the white paper to really be successful, but it was an interesting first step away from it just being a crypto staking thing into, hey, when you wrap this in a game, it becomes fun. Um, I think some people will do some things with really interesting IP. You know, right now, no one's 
done anything that I'd say is particularly good, interesting, or successful. But I do think people will. There's a lot of smart people thinking about it. And so I, I think in the next year or two, if we have an explosion, it'll be more on the kind of money meets culture side than on another wave of like rampant financial speculation. And you know, someone posted the other day, you know, I'm having an increasingly hard time just justifying in my own head the valuations of NFTs right now. And yeah, the truth is, it seems pretty hard to support a market at this level until we get one to two orders of magnitude, more consumer engagement. Um, and I think that's where that'll come from. Definitely. But but value value is always in the eye of the beholder in that sense. I love your it's a good step in the direct the right direction joke. That was uh that was low key. It's not just one good step in the right direction, it was many steps in the right direction in that sense, wasn't it? But uh that might have been too much of an insider joke. All right. Well, I mean, let's let's look forward then. So what does good crypto design actually look like? What what uh, in one sentence, what are we looking for? My you get us going with this. What is the one thing we're looking for when it comes to good crypto design? And don't say your mum can use it. <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted to say that. Um, uh, one is definitely I don't have to go down the Google black hole to do a simple action on a crypto platform. Um, that is, when we achieve that, that's excellent design. Cool. Uh, no more white paper instruction manuals. I get that. No, I agree. <laughs> Rianne, what do you what do you think? I'm going to cheat and do it in two sentences. So um, to use an example, and I think Stepan's a great example, it doesn't look slick, flashy, beautiful. It doesn't have amazing transitions. It's not visually great, but it's like some of the most popular games. It's like Minecraft. It's like Roblox. They're providing compelling experiences rather than looking absolutely fantastic and slick. So to my mind, good crypto UX is something that's really effective, compelling, experience-led and authentic. Agree. Agree with that. Chris, what do you think? Good products have to do one of two things for users. They either have to solve a problem for them or bring them closer to a more aspirational version of themselves. Um, good design here is no different. Agree with that. All right. Well, I think we could probably talk about this for several more hours in terms of uh, the the good and the bad and the ugly. I'm sure when it comes to uh, everything uh, design in uh, in the crypto space right now. But we probably better wrap up uh, and we'll pick it up at another day. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company, Chris? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Madden um, and Floor on Twitter at Floor NFTs. Very good, Maya. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter as well at Kadlemaya, so C-A-D-D-L-E-M-A-Y-A. -A -A. Um, I'm the only one. Um, so you can find me on Twitter and then similarly you can find Nestcoin on Twitter. Um, I share and talk about them quite a bit as well. Very good. Rianne? Twitter, like everyone else, um, at Rianne, that's R-H-I-A-N underscore is very good. As for me, you can find me lurking predominantly on LinkedIn these days. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It super duper helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on every social media channel. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Or if you want to, then email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Goodbye. Goodbye.